Democrats have spent much of the last month wrestling themselves to the ground. They were embarrassed over the revelation that Virginia Governor Ralph Northam had once dressed in blackface, startled by subsequent accusations of sexual assault against Northam's Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, and chronically unsure this week over how to handle a comment by freshman Democrat Ilan Omar, her second that many saw as anti-Semitic. An emerging, more progressive cohort of elected Democrats is coming into conflict with an older generation of centrists and traditional liberals. These two Democratic factions are united and divided. They're united about the urgency of defeating President Trump next year. But at the same time, they are divided, with each side seeing the other as the reason Mr. Trump may wind up winning after all. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. How y'all doing on this Monday? I just got off an airplane <laughs> from uh, Los Angeles into Fort Lauderdale. And it was a four-and-a-half-hour flight. Although it was seven hours uh, in terms of time change. And so I am, my back hurts, my brain hurts, and uh, I have a lot to say. So that's a great combination, actually. When I'm, I generally do my best work when I'm overtired and uh, pissed off. That's a, a recipe for success. On the Joyce Kaufman Show. Plus, I had some fascinating conversation yesterday with uh, my son, who I was at his ho house. And um, I actually was at TMZ on Friday, which was a, an interesting experience because the Jesse Smollett charges had just come down. And it was a very hot topic. People were running around the newsroom like crazy chickens without their heads on and uh you know debating the the legal legalisms of being charged 16 times basically for the same eight crimes twice so uh, i went through that and then it was one of these uh, crash bang weekends it was my granddaughter's third birthday and she had the most unique birthday party i think i've ever seen uh, 33-year-olds making pizzas in a pizza parlor with chef hats on and aprons and literally spinning the dough. And put, I mean, it was, it was, an, oh, I don't know if I can sit on this chair. <laughs> my back hurts. Um, my back hurts as I tried to explain to my son because the mattress in the guest room is horrific. So they put this mattress topper on it which is sliding around on the mattress so you're kind of like fighting to stay on anyway it's enough about me had this conversation with my son yesterday though that was so revealing and i'm sure that that clock is wrong just saying um it is not 907 it is 1007 I know it's this is important. These details are important. I haven't had any sleep. I need to know what time it is. You don't know how hard that clock is to set right now, so leave it be. It's ten, okay? Just just imagine it's an hour for whatever. I, I don't, don't know what you want need to, do. to imagine. I want it to be right. It'll be done sometime this week. Oh no! All right, um, I'm just not going to look at it. How about that? Because the ones on my screen are okay. 
So anyway, I had this conversation yesterday with Derek, and it started off badly. It got better as the uh, conversation went on. But it started off really badly by the, um, well, I'll tell you how it started off. started off with, as usual, him saying you can't possibly um, think that anybody in the world uh, understands why you support Donald Trump. And, you know, I always love the way an opposition viewpoint will just try to minimize your value. I mean, that's how they do it, right? It's like, well, I don't understand how anyone, like, well, okay, I don't understand why you speak that way, but let's, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's keep, keep it moving. Let's have this conversation actually result in some meeting of the minds or some, you know, pulling out of one's own hair. I'm not, I don't care. I'm not invested in the result, but I want to have a debate and I don't want to be marginalized every time by whoever it is I'm talking to. So I, after I, you know, said, we're not, not going to be dismissive. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say you're an idiot for living in California and you're not going to say you're an idiot for supporting Donald Trump. Can we agree on those ground rules? So we agreed on those ground rules. And then, um, I allowed him to express his frustration, which I think is the way you have to deal with the left and liberals right now. I want you all to, to listen to me. This is a, a constructive lesson in how to talk, particularly to one's children or family members who are uh, just a little bit uh, touched in the head. You know, they just they have this uh, Trump derangement. Thank you. They had this Trump derangement syndrome. They really cannot get past it. So uh, it's important that you find out how to talk to them. You know, much like when you were, you know, when you're an adult and you have to talk differently to a little child than you do to another adult. Unless, of course, the other adult is hobo. And then you talk the same way to the children as you do to hobo. Thanks, Joyce. Welcome back, right? No, but you know what I'm saying. For the most part, you don't talk to Logan the way you talk to me. You have to, you know, you have to tailor the way you speak to a child. At times. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like the Goo Goo Gaga stuff. Yeah. But, really but you don't want to give a kid, you know, something that's hard to wrap your mind around as an adult because they have no frame of reference for complicated, you know, thoughts. So you don't do that. Um, it's the same when talking to a liberal. It's very similar, actually. You have to understand that they have limited um, capacity to understand. So you, you tone it down or you try to find ways in which you can, um, you know, just kind of guide them, you know, just lead them into the conversation rather than just, you know, getting frustrated and throwing your hands up right away, which is really essentially my reaction often. So I had this conversation, and look, my son got a 1580 on the SATs, right? So I can't say he's dumb. Um, he went to Harvard. He went to Yale Law School. Uh, not that I think they're such great institutions, but it's hard to get into. So I, I know he's not dumb. And that's why in speaking to him, I had to not treat him as if he was dumb, but I had to tailor my conversation to as if he were from Mars and had just landed on a planet Earth in the United States of America and had no frame of reference. It's not his fault that he knows so little about um, American history. It wasn't taught to him in the Broward Public Schools. By the time he got to college, even in a political science un, um, you know, minor, 
There was a limit to how much of American history they were teaching because these institutions are so far to the left that they would rather represent America much the way uh, Ocasio-Cortez um, likes to think of America. You know, and... Uh, it doesn't feel good to live in an unequal society. It doesn't feel good. Like... I walk through New York City, which has the highest rate of people who are homeless That's today than in any other time since the Great Depression. Not true. And at the same time, there are penthouses galore, fifty percent of which are vacant because they're people's like second or third or fourth home. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good walking down New York City and and you know and 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 walking and seeing so many veterans who are homeless so many how do you know um, they're veterans elderly who are homeless and and so on people with mental illnesses that are homeless Some of them are in like Congress. it doesn't feel good to live in a society like that well and this is what i'm talking about when you talk to that ilk people who think that way which is pretty much how i have to uh, accept and admit my children feel that my two children live in California. My son-in-law and daughter-in-law live in California. You can't live in California where there's two Californias, the rich people like them, and then the poor people like 90% of California, right? So you can't live that way and it feel good, I guess. You see, to me, as long as I'm in the... um have enough money class i don't worry about my feelings you know instead i worry about improving things in my community in my state so that people have better access um, people have better opportunities i don't care if people have the same results as a matter of fact i do care that people should not have the same results if you put more into it you should get more that's all if you take a chance the way some of these entrepreneurs had to you probably, uh, you know, deserve what you got. And most of them uh, end up being pretty philanthropic. I mean, there's some exceptions. I don't, you know, I don't know that uh, Jeff Bezos is a, a philanthropist in the way that, like, uh, my, uh, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett is. Probably not. You know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett give, like, 90% of their income to various causes and charities. And they still live like, uh, you know, kings and queens, and, and they are. So I get that. But you have to talk to them in a certain manner. You can't just say, well, that's not fair, because it feels a certain way to them. It's all about how they feel. And they, they feel as if life is unfair and that this is an unfair country and that they are lucky. Not, not, they don't see themselves as blessed. They're very secular. They don't see themselves as harder working than anybody else. They just see themselves as privileged and that privilege brings a whole lot of guilt with it so you have to know how to talk to them and i figured out the way to talk to them this weekend i got to practice on my son derek and i was very effective by the end of the conversation now this is this is the good news okay by the end of the conversation derek admitted me admitted to me that he can't stand this socialist crap because he doesn't think it's a it's it's a valid ideology it's a failed ideology. He gets that. 
he uh, also admitted to me that this anti-Semitism that has reared its ugly head all over the world, and in particular right now in Congress, is very disheartening to him and to his wife, as it is to my daughter and to her husband. There's something that's just so, you know, if you're going to be dealing with their feelings, you got to go to other things that give them feelings. So I said, how do you feel when you hear someone say that, you know, the Jews have all the money and that the APAC is paying off politicians? How, how does it make you feel? And... uh doesn't make them feel good. And since it's all about feelings, you got to go there. Now, the one area where we still have like a lot of banging of heads, I'll share with you after this break, because it's surprising to me. And but it, it proved to me how brainwashed even a super smart person like my son has gotten just, you know, the brainwashing in the area of women and reproductive freedom is so bizarre. It defies logic. I'll, I'll talk about that when we come back. So I want you to think of this as like a, a lesson in how to talk to people who, uh, you know, they're smart, but they just are wrong. You know, and you don't want to alienate them and you don't want to belittle them. That's how they like to have discussions. We don't want to do that. We want to bring them along. Right. So I I had this discussion with my son and got him pretty easily to admit that the Democrat Party has moved uh, very far to the left or at least ostensibly, because if they were able to pull um, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, away from a pretty simple resolution that condemned the anti-Semitic comments, not one comment, but multiple comments by a brand new, a freshman congresswoman who sits up there in Congress wearing her hijab and then spewing out this anti-Semitic stuff. It doesn't seem like that would have been a difficult resolution, right, to pass. You know, not that it would have changed Elon Omar's um, hard or anything, or even um, probably wouldn't have made any Jewish person feel particularly better, but it was the right thing to do. Nancy Pelosi attempted to do it and got pulled into this maelstrom, which was what uh, I opened up with Chuck Todd talking about this craziness that's going on inside of the Democrat Party right now with this new crop, these younger Democrats who have millions of people following them, whatever I may think of them. You know, I look at the poll numbers and, you know, socialism is not anathema to young people. They kind of like it, you know. They don't see it. They don't understand what it would mean to their own personal freedoms, nor do they, they don't live taking advantage of their freedoms. Let me put it that way. So I, um, I, I really th- feel like when you talk to them, you have to admit that um, they just don't know. You know, like I said to my son during the course of one of our conversations, um, Derek, you know, you don't really think that um, I'm a racist, right? And he goes, oh, of course not, Mom. I mean, it's kind of hard to make that case. I, you know, I have an interracial marriage. I have interracial children and grandchildren. I mean, it's just, it's kind of hard to make that case. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't think that there's a, a you know, a, a, a straight line between me and the word racist. Okay. So I said, okay. So now tell me, 
why would you say that Donald Trump's a racist? I I just want to know. I mean, don't just spout it back at me, what you've heard on, uh, you know, the Rachel Maddow show. I don't think he watches that, but whatever. You know, tell me what it is about him that you find so racist. And he goes, well, you know, some of those comments after the Charlottesville. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. In context, okay? Not the stuff that they played over and over again. You know, in context, what evidence do you have that he is a racist? Well, of course, none. They have none. But nobody ever asks them that question. So stick with me, at least for this hour. Let me advise you on how to talk to them. So when everything is about feelings and not about facts, um, it is a little more difficult to have a conversation. But I, I really, I, I perfected it this weekend. And for the next two days, I'm really going to do um, some, you know, I hate to say teaching, but that is my, you know, my calling. It, it certainly was a, a career that uh, I excelled at. I just didn't really like it. Um, but I want to I be helpful. I've decided that all of this literally banging our heads against the wall is frustrating. And we're not... We're not really bringing anything, bringing people together. And that is the, the big idea for the future. You cannot let the crazies on the left determine where we're going as a country. It, it, there's no coming back from some of the garbage that they are talking about. I mean, over the weekend, if you listened to this, uh, what is it called? The South, the Southwestern, I don't even know what it is, but some kind of conference where all the left went. What is it called? Southwest? South by Southwest. South by Southwest. I, I mean, what, what does that even mean, South by Southwest? I, mean, I don't know. It's a really big music festival. Oh, it's a music festival? It's not a political gathering? It's... There's it's a evolved. lot of politics. Well, it's evolved. They have speakers and everything else. But yeah, it's originally a music concert. Was it really? So, it was like, like a what festival. kind? Oh, okay. Like a Burning Man or, you know, like Woodstock. What kind of festival? You know, or what's the Co- Co- <laughs> Co- Coachella? You know? Yeah, something like that. You know, like something like day. that? Well, I think it's a little bit longer than three days, but yeah. Really? Yeah. You see, that's the problem. It's like, if you have a job, you can't just go to Coachella. You can't just take off a week to go to some festival. No, if you're in music, that's where you go. Yeah, but they're not in music. You know, whatever her name is, Ocasio-Cortez. She's going to her crowd. Oh, okay. Well, you know, and apparently there were others, uh, other political people there. But anyway, if you listen to some of the interviews that she gave and some of the commentary that she made, it, it, it just solidifies what I learned this weekend. They are all about making themselves feel better feel less guilty for their success uh, some of them realize and i think uh Aoc is probably a classic example of this some of them realize that they don't deserve the success they've had i'm sorry but how does this ignoramus you know get to go to congress at 29 it's a formula and my biggest fear is that they're going to adapt this formula. And it's ignorance on the part of, you know, some of these uh, liberals that, that allows them to get away with the nonsense that they get away with. And even some non-liberals. Because my, my son, I have to be perfectly clear, he is not a liberal. 
he's not. He is a uh, a very conservative person in many many regards. But he's also, you know, he he deals in celebrity gossip, okay, and lawsuits and and freedom of speech issues and all this other stuff from a perspective that's very different than traditional, very different than mine. You know, he was all upset about how, um, you know, you you can't limit conversation. You, he was upset with uh, Linwood's uh, lawsuits against CNN. Like, he feels that it's perfectly fine for CNN, or I guess TMZ by translation, to trash a person who has no political persona at all. Now, if they trash me, it goes with the territory. If you're a public person and you get trashed, Oh, well, unless they literally you have to be able to prove that they caused you such financial harm that it went beyond just words. Very difficult case to make if you're a public figure. On the other hand, there was a time in this country when you couldn't just pick on an individual because they happened to fit it, it. It fit your agenda the way it was done with these Covington students and in particular this one student who was uh, wearing the make america great again hat and stood there calmly smiling into the face of a lunatic who at first they were painting as some you know hero war hero turns out he's not nothing like that he's an activist and he's entitled to have his freedom of speech too but the media misrepresented it by never never investigating and so guys like linwood their job and i think it's a phenomenal job and i told my son i'd have more respect for him if that was what he had chosen to do is to go after these companies who could deliberately set out to ruin a kid's life we're not even talking about an adult we're talking about a minor whose entire life has been an execorably altered you will never be able to google search his name and not get that video to pop up not get uh, racist to pop up not get uh, trump you know supporter it's it's never going away okay because it was just relentless for days you can't really undo it so linwood goes after such things went after the uh the atlantic atlantic Journal Constitution or whatever that paper is called when they went after Richard Jewell writing things like, oh, you know, well, he's a single guy. He lives with his mother. He must be the bomber, you know, and he was no such thing. He was actually a hero. You know, I wouldn't call the uh, Nick Sandman a hero, but he certainly behaved a lot nicer than I would have if I were in the same position that he found himself in with the uh, Israeli Hebrew, whatever the heck the, that group was, screaming, you know, yeah, white boy and all that crap. Uh, believe me, I would have been a lot more ticked off than that kid was. And I certainly would have resented having some uh, Native American drumming in my face and accusing me of things that I'm not. And that's the amazing thing. That CNN got away with it for a while. But they, this kid's parents had the good sense to say, you know what? Not so fast. This may impact his ability to get into college, his ability to get a job down the road. We're, uh, we're going to see if we can get some, really get some, uh, you know, satisfaction 
more than anything else. I think the money is only part of the dynamic because it discourages other media outlets from not doing their homework. That's the purpose, really, is like, don't you think maybe you guys ought to vet a story like this before you malign and libel an individual, particularly a youthful individual? That's the purpose of a $250 million lawsuit. It's not because, although I got to tell you, I think the kid should get money. I think his, his life has changed forever. And um, money will help him. First of all, he's going to have to pay someone to fix his profile on the Internet. And there are ways to do that. But it'll cost a ton of money. And ultimately, you can't get rid of everything. You just can't. So he ought to be reimbursed in case he, you know, has a tough time getting a job in the future because of such, uh, you know, blatant lies about him that were sent out not just on social media platforms but cnn appears in millions of households it appears in every airport although interestingly enough uh the airport in los angeles did not have cnn on last night and the airport in fort lauderdale did not have cnn on on uh, friday when i left or thursday night when i left as a matter of fact it had um, some Spanish language station on here in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And that's a whole nother show that we're going to, that's a whole nother subject we're going to get into today. Um, I think President Trump is about to do away with the press one for English and press two for Spanish um, nightmare that I think should be remedied quickly. Just saying. Just saying. Um, the president was down here while I was away and apparently uh, went after Ann Coulter with a vengeance. She's here in Palm Beach today. So there should be some good commentary coming out of that uh, event, <laughs> I'm sure. The other um, thing is he raised something like $7 million for his reelection campaign. It's a sizable chunk. Although if someone could explain to me how Hickenlooper raised a million dollars in 24 hours... I, I'm still just sort of stupefied by that since I don't think more than, I don't know, maybe 10,000 people even know who he is. <laughs> and yet he, uh, he, he brought in some serious cash. It's looking as though all the pollsters are saying it's uh, the top two contenders are Biden and Bernie. I just want to point out to the listeners, as I pointed out to my son, so this party of, uh, you know, minorities uh, has two old white guys in the lead for the nomination. I mean, Kamala Harris is like in the single digits. Um, I don't know. I'm just, just saying. You know, do you think even the, even the Democrats are looking at the race and thinking like, we can't run somebody that has absolutely no chance of winning, which would be just about everybody uh, in there, the ones that have filled out their paperwork. I mean, you got Tulsi Gabbard, who is now, she cannot say that she believes that uh, Bashar al-Assad is a brutal, horrendous war criminal. Like, come on, Tulsi. You know, this is not rocket science, okay? Just go with, he's a war criminal. Don't try to mitigate it, all right? So she's pretty much out of the running. 
You got Cory Booker who wants everybody to be a vegan. Uh, that's not going to happen. Some of these people have taken these ridiculous positions that are just stupid. They're just stupid, okay? So we'll see. We're going to take a, a quick break. And I do want, I got so much to talk about, but I'm, I'm going to keep doing these lessons and how to speak to your liberal friends and family, if you have any left. Uh, some of mine have just written me off completely. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'll be here when they come to their senses. And if they never come to their senses, oh, well. You know, I'll, I'm, I'm okay. I, I really didn't need uh, all those friends anyway. And as for my children, you know, it's, it's sort of a take it or leave it thing. They have decided that they're going to love me in spite of it. So I promise over the next uh, week, a little bit every day, I'm going to teach you um, how to talk to a liberal that you love. Because we have them, you know. I, I just came back from L.A. and I'm, I'm here to tell you that I had some great conversations with my son, who's not actually a liberal. He's a, uh, you know, he's just, he lives on the left coast. You know, there's just so much arguing he's going to do with everybody he knows. Um, but I got him to articulate something that I think we need to get more people um, to articulate, and that is he really doesn't like this anti-Semitism that's coming out of the Democrat Party right now. He really doesn't like socialism. He's not about equal, op he's not about equal results. He's about equal opportunity. He'd like everybody to have a shot at the golden ring, but he does think that everybody should not have to work and be guaranteed the same things that someone who works hard gets. I mean, this is not, this should not be difficult for us. I, that thing is blinking my online. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Somebody probably reset the board or something. It's fine. You keep going. Okay. I, I get concerned, you know, I, what? It's fixed. Since it keeps, you keep, thank you. Thank you. Um, and so you got to have be able to have these conversations. Um, one thing about flying cross country is I get to see all the movies that I didn't watch when they were here, and it was like Academy Award movies galore on the ride out. First, I watched The Green Book. Awesome. Then you, I thought you didn't want to see it. I didn't want to, but it was free, and I was on the airplane. I told you I thought you would like it. Awesome. It was an awesome. I mean, there were some parts that were dumb, but but for the most part, it was. Great acting by these two characters. What's his name? Vigo Mortensen. Um, well, they both have hard names. No, but that it was a tour de force for both of them. I mean, it really was um, a, just a good movie, a good story. I like a story, you know. So this had a good story, good character development, and the, just a handful of characters. I hate these, you know, like my son went to see uh, Captain Et or whatever it is, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Yeah. And he said it was, uh, yeah, and he loves those kind of movies, but he said this one was just wrong, you know, and got mm, terrible reviews on uh, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever they call it. Well, they reset that because when it first came out, there was a lot of bashing female, I guess, superhero. So Bots, yeah, and, and I've heard it all before, but he, he is, was pretty open-minded when he went to see it, and he was very disappointed which is, it's telling. Uh, I'm not going to see it anyway unless I'm on an airplane. But then I watched Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie about Queen. Yeah, I'm sure you would like that too. 
there were a lot of uh, misrepresentations of the time and what really happened because uh, I know the story of Queen was a a band that I definitely you know knew a lot about. Freddie Mercury was a person who you know when I when it was not called AIDS when Freddie Mercury got sick. It was called GRID, gay related immune disorder, and I at the time. Um, when I came down here to South Florida, nobody knew what, what I was talking about. I had been an activist in New York trying to get people in the community, in the, in the gay community, to pay attention to this disease that was spreading. And I got down here to Florida and they had all these bathhouses and nobody even knew what I was talking about. Um, and then, of course, a little by slowly, uh, Father Fred Tendello and I went out and did a lot of public speaking. Um, particularly Father Fred, and, and raised awareness about it. And, and Freddie Mercury was, uh, you know, definitely a, a figure that was afraid to get very upfront about his contracting of the disease. So um, they made him seem much more heroic, I think, than he was. Uh, the other thing was some people objected to the fact that uh, they had this one manager who uh, apparently they the movie portrayed him as leading him into this um, raucous gay lifestyle, um, and then the one female that was in his life from the beginning, um, they made her seem saintly, and that wasn't neither one of those was true. I mean, the the bad guy manager was a bad guy manager, and the girlfriend was his first love, but neither one of them was as vile as uh, or or as important as as it was made out to be in the movie. But it was great. You know, and whoever that actor is, Rummy, whatever, I can't even say his name. Like, he he was very good in that role, I have to admit. Not that he looked that much like Freddie Mercury, but he captured the character. So I saw that. Then I saw this documentary movie called Bellamont, which was weird, really weird. And then I couldn't watch A Star is Born. I'm sorry. It's just like, you know. I'm not a big Lady Gaga fan is what it is. And while I like Bradley Cooper, I prefer him being like a macho man to singing. Just saying, you know, not my cup of tea. I did love the piano player in the Green Book. He was quite something, and there's no way I can pronounce his name at all. Anyway, stay right where you are. We're coming back. I want to talk a little bit about this Ethiopian flight that went down because I got to tell you, the airports were full of frantic people. We'll be right back.